I have the thing that will help you sleep or go back to sleep when you wake up in the middle of the night and it is 50% off. Yes, it's CBD oil and it is my go-to when I'm anxious, stressed, or my head is spinning in the middle of the night and I can't sleep. I love Feels CBD oil. I found Feels a little over a year ago. I started experimenting with it and it's given me so much peace now. Knowing that I have that if I wake up in the middle of the night and it will help me go back to sleep. Feels uses 100% organic MCT oil as the carrier oil to stabilize and increase CBD's bioavailability. Their products are formulated with only the purest ingredients and without the use of fillers, flavors, or unnecessary fluff. CBD oil naturally helps to reduce stress, anxiety, and pain, and sleeplessness. And the way it works is that CBD interacts with your endocannabinoid system. So just like we have receptors for dopamine and serotonin, we also have receptors for cannabinoids. And these receptors act like traffic cops to control the level and activity of neurotransmitters. It is not addictive, and there are no psychoactive properties. It couldn't be easier to use. Just place a few drops under your tongue, hold it there, swallow. You will feel the difference instantaneously. The best way to get high-quality CBD oil at a discount is to become a Feels member. That gives you 30% off, which is huge. I'm a Feels member, and I have the 2,400-milligram bottle shipped monthly. Yes, I recently upped my dose. There's no shame in that. If you've tried CBD oil before and it didn't work, it's probably because you weren't taking enough. With our special code, you actually get 50% off your first order. So become a member today by going to feels.com forward slash wellfed, and you'll get 50% off your first order with free shipping. They also have CBD mints and you can subscribe to those as well and get a discount. Again, that's feels, F-E-A-L-S dot com forward slash well-fed to become a member and get 50% automatically taken off your first order with free shipping. You are now listening to Well-Fed Women, the show that's been radically changing the way women perceive health, fitness, and their bodies since 2015. I'm your host, Noelle Tarr. Submit your questions to wellfedwomen at gmail.com. And you can keep up with the show on Instagram at wellfedwomen. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Well-Fed Women podcast. This is episode number 406. I am your host, Noelle Tarr of coconutsandkettlebells.com. I'm a nutritional therapy practitioner and a National Strength and Conditioning Association certified personal trainer. Today, I am really excited to be talking with Andrea Nakayama about why your diagnosis isn't your root cause. So much has happened in the last couple of years. I think women are dealing with more stress and chronic health issues and inflammation more than ever, and the conventional health system has not kept up. And women need answers. So many of you come to me and say, I need help. Who do I who do I look for? How do I know what doctor is going to be able to help me with my specific condition? Or a lot of a lot of you will say I've gone to my doctor, I've gone to the people I've exhausted my list. I I've gone to the people in my area. Nobody knows what's going on. I have unexplained symptoms. What do I do now? And so I really wanted to have Andrea on to talk through first not just what is inflammation and what are some of these root causes that can be the catalyst for chronic health conditions, but also how do we pair up with health practitioners and people that know what we need? What can we focus on? How can we, you know, create a quote unquote care team that helps us get to the resolution that we want? 
So I am thrilled to have her on. Andrea, if you haven't heard about her, she's been around for a long time. She was back talking about gut health and functional nutrition, um, you know, when we first started this podcast. But now she is the host of the 15-Minute Matrix podcast. She's also the founder of the Functional Nutrition Alliance. Andrew's actually leading thousands of students and practitioners around the globe in a revolution to offer better solutions to the growing chronic illness epidemic by highlighting the importance of systems biology, root cause methodology, and therapeutic partnerships. She really helps historically underserved individuals reclaim ownership of their health. Her website is fxnutrition.com. I highly recommend checking that out. She's got a lot of resources there and she does some really incredible training. So I'm excited to introduce her to you all. So let's get to the interview. Well, welcome, Andrea. I am excited to have you here to talk about all the things. I know I sent you a lot of questions yesterday of things that I wanted to talk about, but I'm really excited to dive into a little bit more of just about helping women get the care that they need and and find, you know, the cause of all their unexplained symptoms. Yeah, thank you, Noelle. I'm super excited. The questions are amazing and I'm <laughs> thrilled to dive in with you. <laughs> Good. Good. I'm I'm excited to talk more today about the state of health for women in our society, because I know that you have seen this in your work and just what you've been doing the last few years. But I feel like women in particular are dealing with more stress, more chronic health issues, more unexplained symptoms, more inflammation, more just like mental and emotional stress more than ever. And the conventional health system has not kept up, so to speak. And many women are yeah. looking for root causes or answers or solutions, and they keep getting to like places that they're just like dead ends. And so yeah. I want to dive into root causes and even some actionable tips for women who are looking for help. But first, talk to me about the state of chronic disease specifically for women in our society. Yeah, it's such a good question. And it's huge. And it's unfortunately growing. And as I think we'll talk about human physiology, in particular, female physiology is complicated. And so we have a number of reasons why chronic illness is on the rise. And I just want to talk into relative numbers for a moment. We're seeing tens of millions, likely 80 million or more in the U.S. alone, women who are suffering with autoimmune conditions. And that doesn't include other chronic conditions like diabetes and heart disease and mental health challenges. So there's and cancer, of course. So there's a huge uptick that we're seeing. It's likely one in 12 women who are experiencing an autoimmune condition alone. And most people, when we think about autoimmunity, who have an autoimmune condition. Most of those people, 75% are female. So we're looking at an increase in these chronic health challenges that, as you said, our system does not know how to care for. They don't understand. It doesn't fall into our current thinking about what medicine is and what it does. Mm. Why do you think that we are seeing more and more medically unexplained health symptoms and challenges? I know this is kind of a two-part question because we have women who are now dealing with unexplained symptoms, but they're unexplained, which kind of gives a little <laughs> hint into how the conventional system 
is diagnosing and treating disease? Yeah, I think it's multifactorial. So I think there's a number of reasons that we're seeing this on the rise. And the categories I would think into are one, physiology, two, the system, and three, the noise. And so if I look at each of those, when we think about physiology and what's going on inside the body, the impact or the insults that we're experiencing are also on the rise. So we don't have the nutrition that we used to have. We have more exposures to environmental uh, toxins, but also bacterial and viral infections that our immune systems aren't prepared to counter. And then the hormonal milieu inside of those with female anatomy is very complicated. And we are not small men. We are a (laughs) different (laughs) set of systems that respond differently to medications, to different insults that may need to be looked at through a different lens. So we're seeing the impact of society and those stressors, whether they're emotional stressors or physiological stressors, impacting more and more people. And the ways in which these problems are showing up don't make sense to the way the system, which is number two, thinks about healthcare. So we tend to think in a protocol fashion. What's the X for the Y? I'm experiencing this symptom. What do I do about it? And in those short times we have with our medical practitioners, they're looking to fix or solve. And the milieu of symptoms that more and more women are experiencing aren't easily fixed. And then that leads us down a road where we're in the polypharmacy realm, where we're taking one thing for trying to fix one symptom, and then that actually induces other symptoms. And it's this chronic uh, arena of trying to fix, 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 but the system doesn't know how to look for the roots. It only knows how to think about the signs and symptoms. The third area that I just want to point to, and I know we will likely go into some of these a little bit more, is the noise that exists. And I think as we have access to more information, which on the one hand is great, on the other hand, we are also trying to fix. We as women, as patients are trying to play doctor and solve Mm -hmm. or fix things on our own. And therefore we are often self-diagnosing and self-prescribing. We may be self-prescribing diets that are triggering other parts or other deficiencies. We may be prescribing nutraceuticals that aren't right for our signs and symptoms or diagnoses. And so we start to have this epigenetic phenomenon happening that just isn't really serving what's happening inside the body. Wow. Yeah, it just hit, you know, it's... (laughs) Where I I feel like we're kind of at this peak, well, the pandemic really put us at this peak of stress for women where we were overwhelmed with the challenges of, you know, health challenges, motherhood, just life, work, school, all the things. And the internet is great, right? It allows us to do the research, to be our own advocates, to look things, to look into things deeper. But that in and of itself is also a stressor 
because yes. now we are trying to research and understand things that are really hard and complicated to understand. We're trying to fight for ourselves. We're trying to figure out, is this path right? And like you said, then we're self-prescribing diets yes. and supplements. I mean, how many yes. people now are taking 10 to 20 different supplements because they heard about it or they researched it and we're just throwing our entire you know, physiology out of whack and all of that stuff is a stressor. So it's like this weird balance of, and I've always had this relationship with the internet and with social media where it's like, wow, what an amazing thing we have. What an amazing tool that people can find their community. That's how I connect with my community. People can find their community. But at the same time, what are we sacrificing? And we are sacrificing our in-person community. We are sacrificing really connecting one-on-one with people in our areas and even doctors and healthcare practitioners and stuff like that. And we're doing a lot of things on our own. So (laughs) you said that, and I really thought, wow, it's really, it's a double-edged sword, that internet, you know? (laughs) Yeah. And it's, it, it introduces a scope issue. I think on the one hand, we're asking too much of our doctors and we don't understand the limitations of their scope. So we expect them to be the be all and end all. And then I'm just, you know, I am a functional medicine nutritionist, but as a also a patient, I think patients are working out of scope as well. And so I truly believe that there's a place for patient advocacy and where we as patients can be doing more. And I believe there's a place for our medical institution to be doing more. And I think there's a big gap that needs to be filled by a different kind of practitioner, which we are hoping more to speak into. But I think all of those areas need to be addressed And there's blurry lines. It doesn't need to be contained, but we as patients have lost track of our scope of practice. And there's so much more we can do that we're bypassing for things that we don't know about and shouldn't be in our hands. And I'm not saying things shouldn't be available. I just think we have to recognize that everything we do to or with our body has a cause and effect relationship. And there is going to be an effect from every choice we make. And Mm -hmm. that's, um, it's really important. And I think we're, we've moved far away from it. And we're, are we in a place of no return? That's kind of what I'm wondering. Like, where (laughs) is this leading what you're talking about? This, the benefits of the internet, but also the cost. Yeah, it's really interesting. I, um, I feel like, when we are exposed to so much noise, that was your third thing. When we are exposed to so much noise, we look for things like that are super complicated or, um, you know, what blood work am I missing? Like, what is my exactly. thing? You know, when we we go down this track of really trying to figure out, well, it's got to be something unexplained. It's got to be, you know, what is it? What's the thing? And if you were to kind of come back to surface level, those people aren't even really doing the basics, you know, like if if we were just to kind of eliminate the noise and focus on the basics, getting back to whether it is, you know, just PT and strength training or, you know, looking at your diet and really understanding what are my nutritional gaps here and, you know, sunshine, light on your face, community, taking care of your mental health. So many people aren't doing the basics anymore. And we jump to the complicated because that information is there. So I I love that you included that. What are some 
common health challenges that typically go undiagnosed for women? What are those things that most conventional doctors are not bringing up to patients? Yeah, and there's so many. And I want to reflect, Noel, like I always like to call the work I'm pursuing, the simplicity on the other side of complexity, because I agree we are racing to find the root. And we can talk about that later, but there is never one root. And this is why conventional medicine is overlooking or one reason why so much is overlooked. Um, and, you know, heart disease is very different for women than it is for men. Hormone and pregnancy related uh, issues can be underdiagnosed. And so a lot goes underdiagnosed for women. Autoimmunity in general is hard to diagnose. There's not usually one test for most conditions that are autoimmune. And so most women go years and through several doctors before they actually receive a diagnosis, thinking that the diagnosis is going to be the solution, which it is not because there is no clear resolve for that diagnosis. And it's going to look different for every single person. And so there are some conditions that are medical system knows how to deal with. Again, there's an X for the Y. But when we're talking about chronic health challenges that have manifested to get to a tipping point that receives one name or label, a diagnosis, it's going to be a harder solve and it's going to be harder to diagnose. So I would say almost every chronic health challenge goes underdiagnosed and that the diagnosis is not the solve when we're looking at chronic health challenges. You may get some help, and if it gets you 50, 60, 80% of the way better, great, but I find that's often not the case either. So it's this confluence of underdiagnosed and then mistreated because our system doesn't know how to treat these chronic health challenges. It's not designed for that. Mm. Is it, this is kind of a sidebar question, is it even yeah. necessary for women to find, because you, you, you made a comment, which I think is really insightful, which is sometimes your diagnosis isn't even like, that's not going to help you come to a solution. So, so, or, you know, healing, not necessarily. Yeah. So it, do we actually need to know the root causes or exact, do we need an exact diagnosis or can women do a lot on their own without that? Yeah. I mean, I think you probably know my answer. I think there's a ton we can do. The diagnosis is helpful to know. So we have an umbrella understanding, but I think we're looking for the wrong roots too, which is mm -hmm. why I've created a system that helps us to think through the roots through a different lens, because we often think the root is the infection. We're looking, like you said, for the test, the functional fancy testing that's going to tell us, oh, I have this infection or, oh, I have a histamine intolerance. That's what I'm going to treat. That's not the root. The root is deeper down. That is what I call a branch, right? So we, if we flip our thinking and we work through a system that helps us understand, wait, where can I actually make a difference in this time that I'm looking for a diagnosis, in this time while I'm going through doctors, in this time where maybe I won't ever get a diagnosis. We tend to be in this hyper sympathetic 
stress-induced fight or flight state of looking as opposed to, like you said, caring and doing for ourselves during that time or potentially even in lieu of the diagnosis. Sometimes the diagnosis can be resolved or put into remission without even knowing what it was. Hmm. Interesting. I love that. Okay. So I've, I was looking at some of the stuff that you were talking about and I found it really interesting. I love the root and the branch analogy because a lot of times it's like, you know, oh, well, I have histamine intolerance. Well, that's not your root cause, right? That might be causing your symptoms, but that's not at the root. So talk to me about what are some of those primary root causes of chronic illness that you, you teach? Yeah. So I always like to use that analogy of the tree. And it's really helpful to think about any sign, symptom, or diagnosis we have. So whether it's a fertility issue or migraines or, uh, you know, menopausal symptoms or Hashimoto's, which I have, or lupus or breast cancer, those are all branches. Those are branches and they all manifested for different reasons. If two people have Hashimoto's, me and somebody else, We got to that place for different reasons. And so we can't treat the sign, symptom, or diagnosis alone. We have to look at the why, which is what we call going upstream and I call getting down to the roots. So instead of thinking, how am I going to chop the branches off the tree that aren't doing well? We go down deeper to the roots, which for me, there are always three roots when we're looking at a chronic condition. And those are the genes digestion, and inflammation. And then those roots exist in soil, which is the terrain that we have some influence over to change what is allowing for the expression at the branches. And let me just say, when there's a chronic condition, meaning I'm not getting better, all three roots need to be addressed. It's not one root. It's not the histamine is the issue. It's not the C. diff is the issue. It's not the COVID that's the issue. It's that those in the terrain, the milieu, the soil that already exists, and all three roots must be addressed and attended to. So many questions. Okay. So I like, <laughs> I didn't, I did not. Okay. So I like the soil. I love now that you brought in the soil. I love that because it's so true. Um, I started a garden this year. And, you know, when you really start a garden, it's not about really taking care of the plant. It's actually about taking care of the soil. Go exactly. figure. Right. And I love this guy, Joel Salatin. He's kind of the purveyor of regenerative farming. And he always talks about, I'm not an actual farmer. What I I don't farm animals. I farm grass. Like I work on growing good grass and that's how I, you know, create a great farm and feed the animals. Right. So I love that you brought in this terrain, in this analogy, the terrain, the dirt. What is the terrain? So if you're, if you're trying to create a good terrain, is that, are you talking about like, gut permeability or kind of what what is your thought process with that? Yeah, it's super vast. So if we think of a Venn diagram with the genes, digestion and inflammation, each of those roots has its own circle of influence. And that's the terrain. That's the our ability to influence that the health of that system. So if we think about the genes, the circle of influence is our food, our movement, our environment and our mindset. 
And that's vast. Food that is supportive of your genetic expression is going to be different than mine. And I don't need to look at my genes to know how to support my genetic expression. I just need to tune in inward. And this is also, Noelle, where I think noise is a huge problem because we have that noise externally, but we also have a lot of noise internally. We have, and I'm going to use a strong word, we have a lot of hatred for our bodies, for the ways our bodies are responding, for the signs and symptoms we're experiencing that doesn't allow us to quiet down and hear what our body is actually telling us. And therein lies a lot of the information that as patients, if we were tuning in, if we were recognizing that we had to track and understand and not get hyper fixated in that sympathetic dominant state, there's information there for us where we can learn. So when I say food, it's not about a specific diet or dietary theory. It's about some principles that help us to care for ourselves and heal while also tuning in and listening to what works for ourselves. Okay, so don't go anywhere because I'm about to tell you about my favorite new kitchen gadget of 2022. Your mind will be blown. I tried composting twice, actually. We invested quite a bit of time and money into it, and each time we failed, like failed miserably. <laughs> We're smart people, but it was super complicated, and we ended up it just the whole thing ended up being more work for us than we could handle. Then I found out about Lumi. If you've struggled with the amount of trash and waste you are producing, this will change your life. Lumi allows you to turn scraps like onion skins, coffee grinds, tea, eggshells, avocado rinds, and more into dirt overnight. It is a countertop electric composter that's quiet and eco-conscious. As a family, we're at a point where we throw away a bag of garbage a day, which kills me. Now it's cut that in half, so we've seen a reduction in our waste by 50%, and we use less garbage bags. Lomi is about the size of a crock pot. You load in all your scraps throughout the day. You add a little tablet, which contains beneficial microbes, and turn it on. A large half-gallon bucket of scraps will reduce down to a handful of dirt. There's also a setting where you can add things like paper bags and coffee filters and compost that. We're taking this dirt and letting it sit over the winter in a five-gallon bucket. Then we will mix it in a one-to-ten ratio in the soil in our yard and garden. Lomi quite literally has changed our family's waste, and I love it. It's one of the best investments we've made this year. To grab one, head to Lomi.com slash WellFed and use the promo code WellFed to get $50 off. That's $50 off at Lomi.com, L-O-M-I.com forward slash WellFed, and then use the promo code WellFed. Food waste is gross. Lumi is your solution. Okay, so I want to talk about one of those roots, which is inflammation. So, and I, I haven't quite even dug into this on the podcast, and I, I really am excited to talk to you about it. What exactly is inflammation on a physiological level? Because I do feel like yeah. a lot of people talk about it, but nobody knows what it is. <laughs> nobody yeah, has any clue what it looks question. like in the body. Yeah. And it looks really, it's, it looks like lots of things. So inflammation is a good thing. It's the body's natural process of uh, the 
damaged cells and the white blood cells working together, communicating with each other to release chemicals, histamine being one of them, that clean up or alert the body that something needs to be addressed or fixed. So it's a good natural process that we love when we break an arm and it heals or we stub our toe and it resolves. The challenge with this is when that terrain is already excited or confused and the inflammation doesn't increase and then go down. It just stays in its activated over communicative uh, arena. It's like um, gossip happening. That's how the immune system works. It's a lot of communication between a lot of different cells and you want it to communicate, fix the problem and then calm down. And if it's not calming down, that is where there's a lot of internal noise in the body that needs to be resolved. So inflammation is a good thing until it's not. And the not is usually because there's some activation happening somewhere that keeps it in its excited mode. Okay. So what are some of the causes of that? I love that that description. What are some of those causes that like yeah. that can cause inflammation or, or that activation as you put it? Yeah. So if we go back to that area of the soil around the inflammation route, I call that clear, calm, enhance, and modulate. And what we have to clear may be an allergen. It may be a food allergen or a food sensitivity. It might be a microbial infection. It might be a negative mindset or thought pattern that's keeping us in that over alert. So there are a lot of things that can activate the immune system to stay on overdrive. Some of them we may be born with if we're exposed to toxins or infections in utero. We may actually come in with something that puts us at a disadvantage depending on how we're born, what order we're born in, whether we were breastfed or not. And this isn't about fault. It's about understanding. It's about recognizing that what got us here to this moment today where we're seeking solutions is more than a lifetime of a trajectory. It is impacted by our ancestors. And we came in with certain things that start to create the terrain. But typically, there's something that's put our immune system onto overdrive, some sort of, I'm going to call it an insult, but that can be something we're exposed to that day. It could be an infection that was fleeting, but then we never resolved. It could be an underlying infection that we have not been able to fully resolve like Epstein-Barr virus. So those things put the system on overdrive. And if I could just give you an example for autoimmunity, where in our immune system, there are different layers. So we have the layer that is the skin, our most protective barrier, and that's the skin on the outside of our body, but also the skin on the inside of our body, which is actually on the outside, our digestive system, our respiratory system, all of those skins are the first layer. We then have our innate immune system. And this is what we all have in common. We're born with. These are kind of the Pac-Men of the immune system, the first on the scene of the crime. We then have an adaptive immune system. And this is unique to each of us. And this is where we've adapted over time 
to different insults that we've been exposed to, and we develop memory cells for those things. Let's say the chicken pox. If you have the chicken pox, you develop antibodies to the chicken pox. So you likely ideally do not get them again. It's the reasoning behind immunization. We're shifting the adaptive immune system, right? So the adaptive immune system is also what can turn on us. So in an Mm -hmm. autoimmune situation, my memory cells are aware of things coming from the outside but they're so hypervigilant that they've gotten confused and start to turn on my own cells. For me, it's the cells of the tissue of my thyroid. But, you know, if we look at what any autoimmune condition is, so when that immune system is activated, let's say by something for me personally, like gluten, Mm-hmm. If I eat gluten, that activates my adaptive immune response, my IgG antibodies that are also active and activated and been trained to attack my thyroid. So the more I eat the food or even am exposed to it, my memory cells go and say like, oh, that isn't good for me. And they start to go on the attack, but they're confused and also attacking me, not just the external agent. Does that make sense? Totally. I really appreciate that. Would it be accurate to say that when the immune system is activated, it's more inclined to become activated in other ways? Does that does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. That's absolutely right. So when it's overactive, and the way I often explain this to people is like, your immune system is supposed to go like, oh, deal with that, calm down. Mm -hmm. But in an overactive system, it's like your immune system is constantly like, yes, what's going on? Right. So it's active. And then it starts to say, I got to get this and I got to get that and I got to get that. And it might get confused because of the uh, molecular mimicry, the look that might be similar between, let's say, a gluten protein and the proteins in my thyroid tissue, then it's Mm -hmm. overactive. And this is why people with autoimmunity can tend towards poly autoimmunity more than one autoimmune condition. Right. Oh, that was so helpful. Okay. You said something earlier that I find really interesting. And I had this question for later, but I'm going to bring it up, which is you talked about how mental health and even a negative mindset can cause chronic inflammation. (laughs) So how does our emotions, our mental health, our attitude, you know, how we view the world, if we do not address that, how does that impact our chronic health conditions? Yeah, I think there's a lot more information about stress and the impact of stress on the cells in our body these days. It's changed in my time in the field. It's changed pretty considerably where we're looking not just at stress, but the powers, the clinical powers of things like meditation and mindset. And this is the whole biology of belief arena. And I, I caution from people thinking I can actually think my way out of my 
challenges or fix them. But I think it is the whole soil where if we shift our mindset about what is in our influence, we actually have an ability to shift the actual cellular biology. So when we're on the attack, and this is often true for women with autoimmunity, we tend to be a little type A, and Mm -hmm. there's more and more of us and driven and stressful, we are also driving that force inward and that critique and that criticism. And you can liken what's happening in the body with autoimmunity, a auto or self attack to the ways that we are emotionally attacking Mm -hmm. ourselves, Mm -hmm. not good enough, not this enough, and where we're falling there. So there's a lot more that's looking at, um, you know, even the field of psychoneuroimmunology, it's putting together the psychology, the neurology, and that inflammatory milieu to understand those connections. Yeah. Okay, so we hear people say, I want to talk about the other route, and we hear people say a lot, well, oh, if I had her genes, like I've heard this so much, right, from family members and friends or whatever, oh, if I only had her genes. So how much do our genes really control our health and the health health challenges that we will face? They're definitely a route in terms of the genetic predisposition, but our genes don't determine anything. And that's why the epigenetics, which I hope we'll talk about, are so important because the genes are the underlying, the DNA is the underlying script. And of course, we've heard the saying, which I don't love, and I'll just say it because it gets the point across and then give us some options. But we've heard the saying, the genes load the gun and the environment pulls the trigger, We can also look at this as playing a a hand of cards. Like I've been dealt a hand of cards, but the way I play them is going to be different than how you play them. Or the DNA and the genes are the script that I've been given, but the production of that script is going to look different based on who's acting it. So the genetic predisposition is a real thing. I may be predisposed to heart disease, to osteo issues in my bones, to autoimmunity, but that predisposition isn't a uh, diagnosis. It's not a determinant. And this is one of those areas where I think people get really confused, not just with genes, but with the SNPs, the single nucleotide polymorphisms. I'm constantly saying to my students, like MTHFR isn't a diagnosis. We don't treat our MTHFR. That's not how it works. We can know that we have it like wallpaper, (laughs) but it doesn't mean that we then address it because we don't know and we'll never know if it's been turned on or off or up or down. And that's how genes work. There's a volume switch and there's an on and off switch. And we don't know. And this is what the field of genomics is both slowly and quickly revealing, because when the Human Genome Project was unearthed, when we discovered the reality, we thought it was going to do more clinically. Now we're seeing that it's not a clinical determinant. It can't be, because we just don't know 
what's turned on, what's turned off. We know what you have and what that blueprint looks like, but we have no idea what's been activated. Okay, talk to me a little bit more about epigenetics and the idea behind that. And when did we start talking about epigenetics? Was that really in the last decade or is this like been something that we've known about for a while? I think it first started to be looked at in like the 40s or the 50s. I'm in Oregon okay. and there was actually quite a lot of research in at OHSU at Oregon Health and Sciences University looking back at like uh, people who had lived or been in utero during a famine and then following them through their lives. Like that's the study where epigenetics was before we understood the human genome, but it was this realization that uh, there is a cause and effect of lifestyle factors that impact health outcomes long term. And so then it's been a marrying of the two arenas in terms of what we know about genes and the genomics, along with epigenomics. And epi, the epigenetics are, epi means like on or about or over. And they're the factors that uh, bathe the genes and they help determine whether those genes are, again, turned on or off, or the volume is turned up or down. And if you look at the genome, there's actually things that don't even, like one would turn the other off. That's why we can't know unless we're all geneticists, what's actually happening with the genes. But we do have that circle of influence, that terrain with the food, the movement, the environment, and the mindset those around our genes root are actually the epigenetic factors, our food and nutrition, our movement, our environmental factors, our mindset actually shift the expression of our genes. And Noel, this goes back to your question of, do I need to know what the diagnosis is to help myself? Do we need to know our genomics to actually work in the epigenetic realm? No or few of us. There are places where that might be helpful for a select few, but we've gotten confused about how we actually can be addressing our health as patients in that epigenetic realm. Again, food, movement, environment, and mindset. And then around the epigenetics, I have another three, like what are the non-negotiables? Where are there deficiencies that we bring to sufficiency? And then how are we dismantling dysfunctions? We jump to the third tier Mm -hmm. without paying attention to tier one, tier two. I don't know if it's aging or what it is, but it just, to me, (laughs) I, you go from, you know, maybe in your early 20s and early 30s, kind of being like, well, what can I do to help myself be healthy? And now for me, it's like the deep, really understanding the deeper aspect of it. So like, wow, when I do movement, when I strength train, it's not just about growing my muscle and getting stronger. That's awesome, right? But it's not just about that. It's actually, I'm actually turning on and turning off certain genes that would express certain things that I may not want it to. Like, I don't want to deal with that. And I was even reading a research article, which I'm not a genomist, so I just, I don't know what I'm talking about. But, you know, I was recently trying to understand an article about gene expression 
And it actually was talking about how men in particular who worked out for three months, they the gene expression within their sperm changed. So it yes. wasn't just about what changed my genes. It was also what changes the genes for my future potential offspring. And so for yes. me, like that's such a higher level of like, wow. And also when we can look at health through that lens, I think we have such a different understanding, but also a different motivation. You know, it's not yes. just about like, what's that number on the scale? And we're not just listening to diet culture tell us like, hate your body, get healthy, cut your calories. It's like, you know, that now we can actually see, wow, this is about quality of life. This is about longevity. This is as yes. not just about how I look and feel. It's going to be about how my kids look and feel like, you know, it's such a, a higher level of um, <laughs> existing, not to sound so, yes. so, you know, out there, but it is, it's just like a, it's, it's for me, it's, it's been almost freeing to kind of have that knowledge and be able to move forward with taking my care of myself in that way, because now I'm not pushing myself to kind of reach some destination. I'm saying, what, are, what do my genes need today? You know, what do my genes need tomorrow? Um, so I love that. Yeah. And if we step into that circle of influence. Yeah. Thank you. Good. I always think like, am I speaking in tongues? Cause I <laughs> like the systems thinking, right. It's how the ways in which our best thinkers throughout history have solved complex problems is with mental models and systems thinking and somehow medicine, which is looking to solve complex problems, has gotten away from that. And I don't want to diss our medical system. I think it does some tremendous work. You know, I watched my husband be diagnosed with a brain tumor and go through treatment and ultimately pass away 20 years ago. But I'm so thankful for yeah. everything that medicine was able to do to intervene it knows how to deal with acute situations. When we talk about the chronic, we need an entirely different way of thinking. And I think what you're speaking to, Noel, is that circle of influence. You're recognizing like, wait, I might not have control, which is another thing that we have to right. like look at at times, but I actually have influence over the expression of disease and there's no guarantees. It doesn't mean that I'm not going to get a diagnosis, but I have more of the influence, the other factors in addition to uh, whatever else I decide to do medically. There is a yeah. piece that's with, I am empowered to take care of for myself and like you said, I mean, I've gotten many genetic tests because a lot of the companies want me to do their tests. And yeah. so at a certain point, I was like, sure, let's see yeah. what I get. And I do have a higher risk for heart disease and for bone health issues, but I don't know that they'll ever have to express because I'm working in my circle of influence to shift the expression of those genes and that predisposition. It's officially cold and flu season. And man, this is a season. You all have been feeling it and hearing it in my voice. And when it comes to recovering quicker from sickness, one of my recommendations is always to take a probiotic because your gut and your immune system 
are inextricably linked. But not just any probiotic, one that actually makes it into your gut. As I learn more about supplement and supplement companies, it's really the wild, wild west out there. Anyone can really say anything, and most will take shortcuts to keep prices low. After a lot of research, I personally use and trust Bioptimizer's P3OM probiotic. It's a proteolytic probiotic, meaning it's really good at breaking down protein, and it's proven to be maintainable in the human digestive tract. There's no reason to spend thousands of dollars at a health food store on a probiotic that may or may not do anything. P3OM is called the Navy SEAL by researchers due to its ability to kill bad bacteria. You can even see a video of P3OM breaking down food at p3om.com forward slash well-fed. And here's some more awesome news. You can get 10% off P3OM right now by going to P3, the letter O, M, dot com forward slash well-fed and typing in the coupon code well-fed10. And if you're not happy with your order, your support team will give you all your money back. No questions asked. Again, that's p3om.com forward slash well-fed. Use the code well-fed10 to get 10% off. Okay, talking, I want to spend our last um, minutes here talking about getting people the help they need because this is the top question one of the top questions I get and it's usually you know it's a dm it's like an email that I get and people are like I don't know how to get help I don't feel good I don't know where to go and a lot of times people find out I'm in the greater DC area and they're like who do I go to around here because I can't find anybody um and so I want you to first kind of talk to me about narrative medicine and how it can lead to a more accurate diagnosis yeah yeah our our story is such a huge part of who we are and what got us here and oftentimes when we're seeking health and medical support we're not actually diving into our story we're just there trying to heal the cut on our arm or whatever the thing is that we're struggling with help me with my hormones, you know, is a big one and not understanding we got to go back to those three roots. Like if you're not looking at your digestion and your detoxification, you can't address your hormones, but hormones are being addressed at that branch level and then more and more and more problems. So when we take the time to really embrace the personal narrative And I'm going to say this from a couple different vantage points. When we as practitioners can hold the personal narrative, there are a lot of clues into where and when things might have manifested that help us to think more deeply about what the recommendations or treatment, depending on the kind of practitioner, can be. So taking that time to really hear make connections, help a patient to make connections is really a critical part of that narrative. I also feel really strongly, and this is an area where my work is going now in working with the patients and writing a book, that our personal narrative is important to our own understanding of self-care. So the kind of corny way I think about it is that we come into the, oh, me, Versus the why me, which is Mm. what we're often in, in regards to our health. So helping, you know, in my case study groups for my book right now, helping a woman who was adopted recognize where 
and when stressors in her life happened and then the loss of her adopted mom when she was a child and then her relationship to anxiety around health and her daughters, that through line is yeah. really critical. Um, really interesting there. If we look at she asked me at a certain point, like, what do you think of blood type? And I was like, oh, not, you know, it doesn't really affect our health outcomes because we have organs that are functional within the blood. It's not just one theory. But then she said she was RH negative, right? So that means that she was in a body in utero that was literally physiologically rejecting her while also then being given away from that mother. So mm. there's a story there, a narrative, yeah. and then being brought to another country, being raised by a mom who then also died. There's a narrative that I think we can all very quickly glean from that story that is very tied to her anxiety and depression. If we just treat that anxiety and depression with a pharmaceutical or a nutraceutical or a diet alone, and we don't recognize that personal narrative, that's at the roots of what she can address to help her cope more functionally. Yeah, I love that. So if somebody is struggling, whether it's unexplained symptoms like we talked about before, whether it's anxiety and depression and their doctor doesn't have answers or the answers are, you know, not necessarily solutions, but here's here's a pharmaceutical. Um, what do you recommend that people do next? Yeah, that's a great question, Noelle. And, and I do want to say like most doctors will not know what to do. They don't get trained in nutrition. It might be 17 hours of their training and tens of thousands of hours of medical school. And we can't expect them to. So a lot of people go to our doctors expecting them to have all the answers. So step number one is recognizing that they're not, we can't just look to one person, like in our relationships, we're likely not going to get everything we want from one person. And in our healthcare, we have to think about the team as well. And that team doesn't need to be costly, right? We have to work within the um, resources that we have available to us. And I believe this way of thinking is available to every single one of us. We don't have to be paying out of pocket and getting all the functional testing. So step number one is recognizing that we're looking in the wrong place for some of the solutions we're looking for and forgiving ourselves for that. And step number two is seeing what we can shift on our own in terms of our signs and symptoms within, going back to our previous conversation, our scope of practice. So if we look at food alone, and I'll just say that I like to think of the non-negotiable trifecta as sleep, poop, and blood sugar balance. So I'll actually talk about the first two first. We can't talk about nutrition without talking about digestion, which is why it's the second route and our poop is our best diagnostic tool. We don't need a stool test. We need to like 
look and listen and (laughs) say like, what's happening? What am I getting as a result? Is there anything I can be aware of here? Oh, I ate that cheese or I drank that wine or whatever it is for each of us. It could be I ate that quinoa or kale doesn't sit right for me or whatever it is, just tuning in. And that can be done through very loose tracking. And I know tracking can be a trigger for some people because it's tied to dieting. So I'm like, we're not looking at calories. We're not weighing. We're not looking at quantity. We are just looking at cause and effect. So for me, tracking is a huge tool in relation to non-negotiable trifecta, poop, sleep, huge. We think like, how am I going to address my microbiome? Sleep impacts the microbiome. Sleep Mm -hmm. impacts our ability to calm inflammation. Sleep helps with our mindset. So looking and taking a deep dive into our patterns around sleep. And then when it comes to food, we can look at that tracking. But I also like simple principles for people like fat, fiber, protein with every meal, you're then addressing your blood sugar, eat the rainbow of, you know, natural foods and have a game with it. You know, look at your tracker. What, what colors did I eat today? So that was actually a lot. I wouldn't do that all at once, but (laughs) we have some influence over thinking or looking at our sleep, our poop and our blood sugar balance. And then we're able to take that information forward when we're self-advocating. What's in that you talked about not um, not expecting to get everything from one person, which is a great life principle in general. I had this revelation with one of my best friends growing up because we we communicate differently. Like she loves being on the phone all the time. You know, I don't love that. So <laughs> I had a revelation with her, which was, look, I'm going to fail you. I'm not always going to be everything to you. And she was like, that was actually really helpful because for some reason I've been thinking you need to do everything to meet my needs and you don't like you're just you're one person. So I had this revelation and then I, you know, having my own health challenges too, just chronic back pain and whatever, you know, I got health, not really by finding a diagnosis, which is a great example of what we've been. I never was diagnosed, but I had multiple people on my care team. You know, I had a chiropractor wasn't did not get me to where I needed to be. But as part of a team, it absolutely did, because I also had a PT and I also had a primary care physician who was able to talk me through some maybe some mental and emotional stress that I was dealing with at the same time, which absolutely impacted it. So what's an ideal care team and how do we know what people are actually going to help us. Because I think that the the, really the unfortunate part of this is that most people who are sick are already sick and tired and they're tired of being sick and tired. And so now you're asking people to be like, keep going, keep trying to find more people, keep being an advocate. So it's kind of a shortcut. And what, what do you prioritize when looking for maybe a functional practitioner? Yeah. And I I really just want to respect what you're saying. It isn't about the strive and drive. And that's why mm-hmm. sometimes we need to slow it down and tune into ourselves. And then from there, it might be different for each of us what the next need is. But we know, you know, I need someone to help me with these triggers from my childhood or my work life that 
could be served by a therapist or an acupuncturist. So the ideal team is going to look different for every single person and is going to shift over time. I do think if we're dealing with medical issues, we need a medical practitioner on our team and we need to rely on them for what they do best and not be asking of them to do all the other things. We don't ask them to do our chiropractic work, but somehow we're asking them to be our nutrition advisors, to be our mindset. Like We're asking a lot. So we need a medical person when there's a medical situation. And then for each of us, it may shift and change over time. And the more tuned in we are, the more we may realize I need somebody to help me figure out where I need to go. To me, that's the role of a functional nutrition counselor. And that's why I aim to train an army of practitioners who can sit in the gap to be able to say, are you working with a therapist? This is a great place for acupuncture. Have you ever thought of doing some therapeutic work around your past traumas and be able to see the whole picture and hold somebody's hand in supporting different systems? So be able to be the advisor around the sleep and relaxation and the exercise and movement and the nutrition and hydration and the stress and resilience in relation to all the things happening medically and from a symptomology perspective and be able to help advise. This is where I'm at a scope, your doctor's at a scope, you're at a scope. Let's find a good partner who can X, Y, Z. And again, it's going to be different depending on the person, their Mm -hmm. resources. It might not even be another practitioner. It might be Let's tune into these YouTube videos that help with meditation or get the Headspace app or let's work on breath work. And there's lots of different ways we can go about that these days in a targeted fashion, not in a I'm tuning into this person online who's making general recommendations for my supplements. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Right. I think that's super freeing. Um, not expecting your doctor to do it all for you, you know? And yes. I think that that's sometimes what we're looking for is that one person that's going to do it all and it just doesn't exist. So I, I think that's super freeing. The last question I have for you, which is a term that I heard recently, probably in the last six months. And I was like, wow, yes, so many women deal with this. And it's medical gaslighting. Now, gaslighting, yeah. still a lot of people have no clue what that is. You know, it's a term that's thrown out and you're like, wait a second, that wasn't actually gaslighting. You're just you're gaslighting by saying that was gaslighting. So what exactly is medical gaslighting and how do we respond to those situations? Yeah, I mean, I think there's the big MG and the little MG, right? So we historically have uh, people, minority populations have been medically gaslit, not seen or understood, a trans person being misgendered, uh, people of color not being seen as from their experience or being treated incorrectly because of the color of their skin. There's women have been medically gaslit in terms of not being heard in terms of our signs and symptoms. So there's the big impact historically of where medical gaslighting has happened. And for women showing up and saying, I'm experiencing this and being told it's nothing or it's all in your Mm -hmm. head or you're hysterical or whatever it is. (laughs) 
historically that we've dealt with. Yes, exactly. Um, And there's more and more books coming out about the history and the medical anthropology of how women have been treated through uh, throughout about symptoms that may have had some underlying cause that were not addressed. There is the smaller sense that we all experience or have many of us have experienced where we haven't been treated with the respect that uh, or heard with what we're asking for. So quick situations for myself when I was trying to find out what was going on with my body before I knew I had Hashimoto's, there was a quick instinct to label it as adrenal or stress related related because that was the condition du jour and also because I had lost my husband and was a mother of a young child so of course it was adrenal related and that's what we start to do when we think through these mono symptoms everybody thinks through it's SIBO it's parasites it's adrenal and that becomes a way of gaslighting because we're seeing through our bias and not actually getting into the depth of somebody's experience. Mm -hmm. One experience I had was getting a well woman exam from a woman I chose because she looked like she could be my friend. And she didn't look at me, she didn't address me. And she was berating me for not being on birth control. Because of my age, I was in my late 30s at the time. And I'm like, My husband just died. I'm putting myself back through school while working full time. And I'm a single mother. I'm sorry, I'm not having sex. But she (laughs) (laughs) like that wasn't a part of my life at that time. But she had no ear for that. So that's gaslighting in that my experience is not being heard. And I had the privilege to walk out of there and not go back to her. We don't always all have that privilege. We may have to go back to these providers for various reasons that we really feel like aren't hearing us and holding us. And that's where that subtle but really insidious Mm -hmm. gaslighting comes into play that worries me a lot. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty sure everybody listening has probably been in an experience where an older person you know, or let's say experienced person who uses that experience to gaslight you, um, whether it, it doesn't even have to be male versus female, can really just be anybody who thinks I know more than you and you're trying to tell them about your body and somehow they think that they are the authority and they are the authority on your body. And so the things that you're experiencing are not valid or real and brushing that aside And especially the one thing that women hear all the time is um, you just need to exercise more and eat less. And if you're saying, I don't, I don't actually, you know, I'm not uh, overeating in quotations like I I am eating well. Well, I don't think you really are, you know, like that kind of stuff, you know, well, maybe maybe really like track what you're doing. And guys, I get it. Like, we yeah more information information is power but i do think women historically have been put in these situations where we're doing all that we can we go to the doctor as a last ditch effort because who wants to go to the doctor nowadays right and then you're told you just need to eat less and exercise more um and so i appreciate you 
mentioning all of that because I do feel like a lot of times women are just not validated. And sometimes yes. we just need to be validated and, and heard and, and said, yes. yes, what you're experiencing is, I may not have the answer, but that's okay. What you're experiencing is real. Um, and I think if we had a little bit more empathy in, in that area, like we could maybe get to some better resolutions, but yeah. Yeah. Yes. So true. And, you know, as a final point to that, I always like to remind patients, nobody knows more about you than you. So the two experts in the room, you are the expert on you. And the more you are able to articulate that and come to the table as a partner, the better care that's going to demand. Yeah. Okay. So talk to me about what you do um, and what kind of the, I'll say the the community, but also the empire that you have created and how you're <laughs> training um, functional nutritionists. Yeah. So uh, I built and founded Functional Nutrition Alliance and we have a 10 month training program in the art and science of the functional nutrition practice. It is my baby, my other baby, mm-hmm. <laughs> my other baby, I just visited at his senior year of college. So oh my yeah, gosh. the two babies, <laughs> but uh, Functional Nutrition Alliance is very near and dear to my heart. We've now trained over 7,000 practitioners in over 68 countries and really looking to change the way we do healthcare. And as I referenced earlier, I'm also starting to turn my attention to writing more and supporting more on a patient perspective. So working on building not just and growing the Functional Nutrition Alliance, but the Andrea Nakayama brand so that there can be more opportunity for patients to understand their scope, their circle of influence, and their realm of expertise in managing what we see as this growing rate of chronic health conditions. So um, yeah, my world is ever expanding, fortunately, but unfortunately, because of the need. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So it's fxnutrition.com, correct? That's the Functional Alliance or Functional Alliance Nutrition. Yeah. Okay. So um, I'm going to link to that in the show notes. It's very impressive. Everything that you've built and the 10-month program seems really helpful and insightful. I think it's an amazing option for people. Um, And then your website is andreanakiyama.com. Correct. Yes. Cool. So you also have a podcast, which is awesome. And it seems like you've been doing it for a very long time. Is that you're like 30, you know, 50 we, episodes? I know we're yeah. over like, we're. I think we'll hit. Yeah. So uh, we release twice a week. It's a shorter okay. form podcast. So it has been, I think since 2018, 2019. Yeah. So awesome. uh, that is also a little love child of mine, a passion project. And we actually map a topic on the functional nutrition matrix, which I created um, as a derivative of the Institute of Functional Medicine's matrix. So every podcast, every topic comes with a little map. Um, if you go to the website, oh, cool. which is 15minutematrix.com, and you can also listen wherever you listen to podcasts. Yeah. So go follow 15 Minute Matrix or subscribe to 15minutematrix.com. Thank you so much, Andrea, for being here and just kind of unpacking all of this. This was really, really helpful. And I know so many people are going to benefit from it. Thank you for having me, Noelle. It was super fun. All right. So for more from me, coconutsandcatabolls.com, I will link to Andrea's all the things, the Functional Nutrition Alliance, her website, and the podcast in the show notes. Thanks for being here, guys. We will talk to you next week. 